Hello everyone and welcome to the Mortgage Show podcast. My name is Monty and I'm your host of the show that takes an insightful and irreverent look deep into the mortgage market. We want to look at what makes it tick, speak to the movers and shakers, as well as those at the coalface to understand not just where we are, but where we are going and how we can improve. I'm really pleased to be able to bring you this episode today on a subject that I've always thought that we do not talk about enough, stress and mental health. It's something that many of us have struggled with privately for some time, and it only just feels like attitudes towards it are starting to change. We work in a pressurised industry where everyone gets emotional, especially when it comes to the purchase of their dream home. To help us navigate these waters, I am really pleased to be joined by two women who have campaigned for better understanding of this subject. First off, we have freelance journalist who writes on money, mental health um, and all other things, Leah. Uh, it's Leah Milner. Welcome. Hi, Monty. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. And also, I think I'm fair to say the real driving force behind Brightstar, um, Director of People Development, Claire Jupp. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to Thank everybody you else much. here as well. I know. Look, you see, for those of you that can't see, they're perched nicely on a nice comfy sofa. So just relax and uh, and we'll have a good chat. Um, right. First off, I've I've lost count of the times that I personally have heard the phrase man up uh, in various offices and uh, not just to me, but to various other people. And it seems that in our industry and maybe financial services generally, there's been no real understanding of mental issues or, or even how stress can affect people. Uh, do you get the sense that we as an industry are way behind other industries or is this just more general? Mm, I, I think it's a completely antiquated attitude and it can only yeah. perpetuate stereotypes of what a man should be like. Um, but there again, only yesterday, a possible future PM was um, saying to Boris Johnson that he needed to man up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's a really damaging, toxic mm. statement, I think. Um, yes, I do think, sadly, we, we probably are falling behind in our industry. But there again, when you consider that we are second only to construction when it comes to gender pay gap, for example, yeah. Yeah. you know, we're behind in so many ways. So if, yeah. you're, if you're hearing things like that, yeah, I totally agree. We are behind. I think so. Um, just in terms of, like, like you're saying, Claire, um, it's definitely a quite a macho world still. Yeah. I think it's moved on a lot in the mortgage world, but certainly certainly when I started out as a journalist writing about mortgages in 2007 it was much worse, but the, there's still a bit of the kind of boys club about it, mm -hmm. I think, and I don't think that helps. Um seems to have got a lot better in terms yeah. of I mean I remember well back in the day before that when <laughs> when I used to go to events there was like there's only about three women in the mm. in the room so yeah. we've come a we've come a long way on that on Definitely. that gender issue to Definitely. a degree before yeah. I know yeah. you're that's one of your chosen specialist subjects Claire yeah no no <laughs> um, I agree well, I agree we we have come a long way and certainly there's more presence of of women now uh, uh, mm. uh, across the board when you yeah. when you look at social media <clears throat> when you look at publications when you look at events speakers etc etc definitely there's there's an increase in presence which is positive mm. And do you think that that presence of women has actually helped in terms of being able to deal with things like this, that mental health and stress? Are, are employers better at dealing with women who have issues than men or is it? Well, I think certainly if you've got um, a balance of men and women 
uh, in the workplace, then straight away I think the culture is going to be a more yeah. healthy culture yeah, totally anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but I also think, you know, research will show that, you know, women bring obviously different qualities to, to the workplace yeah. and, to, and to the boardroom. So if you've got a balance of those things, obviously um, I think they're more, more likely to, to be introducing policies and um, processes and structures that, yeah, you know. I think it's healthy to have yeah sort of mm. diversity in every single way. Really, um, the more that we can have workplaces that reflect the the wider world, the the more yeah. comfortable everyone's going to feel. And as soon as you have a workplace that looks a particular way, you know mm. you've got to ask yourself why. Mm. And and diversity as well was as we're sort of talking about mental health. I mean, it's there's this idea that's kind of cropping up more and more now, which I think is very healthy around neurodiversity and people who think differently yeah having people bringing different skills to an organization yeah, that's a really good point and i think then if you can if you can look beyond maybe when you're recruiting things like that really open up the um routes to which you're getting new people into mm. the industry yeah you'll have a much better understanding of how you're going to be um dealing with your customers as well yeah. and that's Got mm, to be really healthy. Definitely, I've I've always said you know strength lies in difference. You you don't want a, a complete workplace full of people that are actually the no. same. Well, yeah. I mean you know that that doesn't no. reflect your customer base at all, does it? No, not at all. We, we at Cor <laughs> <laughs> there's no two people in Corico who are the same. <laughs> I can assure you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it's interesting when you read about things like male suicide rates between mm. or things between the ages of 35 and 45, isn't it? It's a, mm. a bigger killer than a heart disease or something yeah. I yeah. read. Yeah. Um, that's crazy, isn't and it? The that shows that we've got a long way to as go. As well, it's like it, it's uh, in the construction sector, it's like the biggest killer, I think. Right. Yeah. Mm. That, that's interesting because we've already mentioned that. Yeah. As a, as a, yeah. As a, as a yeah, world, yeah, exactly, where there's that kind of pressure. Yeah, I think they're now saying 5,000 suicides a year. 75% of those are male. Um, the most vulnerable group, I think you're right, is between mm. 35 and 45. Um, and, you know, that that's that's about, what, 80, 85 mm. suicides a week. I mean, that, it, it, it's shocking. Yeah, it's mind-boggling, yeah, it is mind isn't it? You mm. could speculate on um, lots of reasons, I suppose, why particular groups or particular industries might have more, more mental health issues than mm. others. Um, mm. But... Perhaps um, uh, kind of financial issues around job security and stuff like that can yeah. start to maybe be a factor in some industries mm. where uh, there isn't that job security or where you, yeah, where you've yeah. got extra stress. Mm. Mm. Do you get a sense that a lot of the the, the stress issues and the mental issues are, are, are coming from financial situations? I guess if you look at the demographic 35 45 men are under intense pressure then mm, to yeah. be the it's, it's still you've got to be the breadwinner you've got to mm. bring home the baby mm. all that kind of stuff is that where a lot of it stems from do you think Leah? so um definitely think the the role of of money and mental health and the way they interplay uh there's a lot a lot of correlation um the money and mental health policy institute which martin lewis set up three years ago mm. has been doing a lot of really interesting work on that and they've they've really got some quite compelling research there showing um there's a vicious circle really where money problems can quite easily lead to mm. 
mental health problems like stress, anxiety, depression, but also people who suffer with mental health problems are more likely to have um, financial difficulties as well. Um, one of their stats I've got here, one in five people with mental illness are also in problem debt, which is right, okay. pretty, pretty That's astonishing. really interesting. Yeah. So if you've had to have time off work uh, because of mental health issues, that's obviously going to have a huge impact on yeah. your finances. Mm. And it's quite hard to get back on your feet um, mm. as well. Mm. Uh, and then there are some some particular mental health conditions which are especially linked to spending problems as well, okay. such mm. as bipolar, which you may know I've, I've yeah. I have that diagnosis and that's definitely yeah. affecting me. And also um, people who are suffering from depression and anxiety are quite prone to um, sort of burying their heads in the sand, not opening the post, finding it really impossible mm. to deal with um, essential services like phoning up their, you know, keeping on top of their energy bill or dealing with mm. just the life admin that can mm. be so, so mm. burdensome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a lot a lot of the mortgage prisoners that we're seeing give, uh, take a lot of uh, the press at the moment mm. are saying that, Mm. that stress has affected their mental health as well. Mm. I'm um, sure it must so have So we all a have the responsibility impact. to try and mm. try and deal with that in some way. Definitely. I think also, um, in addition to that, I think another uh, problem that men perhaps face and therefore it makes them more more um, susceptible to, to mental health issues is this whole thing about trying to be or wanting to be a modern man yeah. and a working parent. Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, this is the <clears throat> one simple thing that so many organisations could do mm. is to try and encourage, facilitate more flexible working practices. Because yeah. I think, you know, some men are trying to meet themselves coming backwards, trying to mm. feel like they carry the label of the breadwinner, the label of the perfect father, partner, whatever it might be. I think that pressure is but again, and it, and, it, and it, I think it, it still reflects back on, um, a problem that women are still very much facing, aren't mm. they? And, mm. and li the life pressures of, yeah, well, actually, you know, y you should be able to have it all now. You should be able to manage yeah. everything. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and workplace culture still haven't really, apart from, you know, in, in some instances, mm. they haven't really evolved enough to make no, that no. flexible working no. And acceptable. that juggling is the really stressful thing, yeah. you know, because your head is never quite 100% yeah. in one one thing because you have those multiple roles and... And that's where I think organisations could really alleviate, you know, much of the stress that, you know, working parents and carers mm. feel. And I think companies are really missing a trick as well, because um, if if you have the attitude that you have to watch over your employees all the time to make sure that they're mm. delivering, I mean, that that's, you know, that's just... <coughs> Kind of the kind of level of control mm. freakery that really you obviously <laughs> don't trust your yeah. staff, and there yeah. are other ways that there are other ways to measure of productivity course. and it's about success. Output, and, isn't it? It's output. Yeah. It's not. It's not needing to be tied to a desk between this hour and that hour. It's mm. about what you produce. And, and actually, yeah. couldn't it be? You know, increasingly people want to say if we if we're looking at mortgages, people want to be able to deal with their brokers out of hours. They want yeah. to be able to deal with their brokers through different channels. Mm. Um, at their convenience so you know having uh, brokers who can who maybe would would prefer to work out of hours could really mm. help you have that kind of round the clock yeah. relationship with clients that if you need to mm. absolutely and Claire Brightstar you've um well you're always you know <laughs> d d held up as a shining beacon of uh, of how companies should do it so so what what does it mean to be a good 
good employer how do we how do we find ways of helping to spot mm. signs of stress and mm. and when does banter turn into bullying and all of that yeah. kind of thing? What do you, what do you guys do? I think the, do? The, the key thing really is having the right kind of workplace culture and mm. ethos to start with. That, that's the thing. You've got to have an open, very transparent culture, a supportive culture where, where people don't feel afraid uh, to approach people, where, you know, where your, where your management is accessible and, and, and not behind kind of, glass offices and um you know where 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 people first of all can feel comfortable to say that they're not okay to start yeah. with um and then i think you know um it's about having having access to to support knowing where you can get support one of the things we did for example is take a kind of corporate membership of anxiety uk and we made that number available everybody right. had a membership number they could just ring up anonymously to to seek help um, you know, we've all got also got a well-being room, which allows people to take some time out if they just need half an hour away from the desk or, or just just some quiet time. So mm, I just think some of some of those things can can really be helpful and building awareness about about things and yeah, just 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 making it seem and and being open about about yourself. I mean, um, yeah. Rob and I have been quite honest and open about. Um, you know, our own vulnerabilities. Mm. I also um, suffered from, well, I guess I still do really still mm. suffer from, from anxiety and people sometimes think, you know, they meet you and they think, oh, you're a confident, outgoing mm. person. You seem to have much going on in your life. But when you, when you can then relay those things and say, well, actually, you know, I've, I've had problems with anxiety yeah. in the past and, you know, that's fine. It's, you know, you can talk to us about it. So I think it's having that open culture is key to it. Mm. Definitely having bosses and management who are, you know, not, not saying that people should feel forced into sharing their own no. upheaval yeah. if they don't, but you can go it too can far, be um, so helpful, I think, for more junior staff to know that even the bosses are sort of struggle with these mm. things i went to an event a couple of weeks back which was called the bosses open up at a mental health festival um, day and there was uh, mark twig from cicero was speaking and a couple of other people from hr and kind of headhunting companies where they were really op they had taken that step of opening up to staff about their own mental health battles and that had really led to lots of other people within the organisation then feeling that they could be open about mm. it and totally kind of transformed their culture. So I think it's, um, and and they, one or two of them are saying that they've they spoken to other companies and are saying, well, you know, isn't mental health going to be the new, um, the new backache, you know, the new thing yeah. that people are just going to grumble yeah. about because, you know, it's an easy thing that you can't mm. necessarily you don't have to prove or whatever yeah. mm. but I think again like if you've if you've got that attitude you've got something else going wrong in your company haven't mm. you if you don't mm. trust your staff exactly um, yeah. then you know where are you mm. where are you going mm. wrong elsewhere really I saw a headline the other day for an article that said men would rather tell their boss that they have diarrhea than that they are <laughs> suffering from a mental health problem I thought well you know, doesn't that kind of reflect <laughs> the situation that we've got? That diarrhea is less embarrassing than 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 any kind of mental yeah. health condition. But and you, know. It's, you know, it's the one in four, isn't it? Mm. It's like one in four people in any year will suffer from mental health problems. So yeah. you know, the likelihood is that within every organisation, all of your you know, among mm. your client base, you're bound to know people who are having problems. Well, I think I. <laughs> 
I think more people do than don't. And it's just, it's interesting what you say about the bosses being approachable and, and, and knowing that actually as a boss, is it, it's still considered a bit of a sign of weakness. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to be in yeah. control the whole time. You've got to know what's happening the whole time. You've got to be in control of your emotions. Um, and there's, there's still that attitude that, that pervades through all of that. Um, but I think I, I watched something, I watched the Prince William thing that he did mm. with, with the mm. footballers talking about uh, the, the footballers talking about their mental health and stuff yeah. like that. I thought that was fantastic mm. Mm. Um, in terms of really helping people to understand how to talk about things. And it's OK to not yeah. be OK. And it can be okay a success even yes. if you've had yes. uh, yeah. difficulties, even if you've had, you know, even I think there's a kind of growing understanding that you know, the, the value of expressing your vulnerabilities and mm. actually that makes you a more relatable, more... Mm. Um, but that's a great a leadership person. quality, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you know, being honest, being forthright, yeah. being open. I mean, to me, you know, they are great, great strengths. And I, I kind of think if more leaders um, across the sector, um, if, if they are or if they have, um, you know, suffered from mental health conditions, that's yeah. hugely powerful if, the, if they just say, actually, I've been there and I know mm, yeah. how it feels, et cetera, et cetera, rather than sort of, you know, perhaps hiding behind this sort of macho image mm. of a leader being strong, infallible, you know, unbeatable, yeah. needs two hours sleep a night, you know, it's that yeah, kind of Yeah, I've, I've always found that all, mm. all the way through and I've always been ridiculed for it personally no. in terms of actually, do you know, I'm quite an open, honest yeah. guy and mm. uh, uh, anxiety, OCD, mm. um, all, the, all those kinds of things yeah. I've had uh, for various degrees and uh, suffered from, from chronic stress for a while. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah, and being open about it has been, has been quite, hard I don't, I don't mind it but mm. the amount of ridicule you still get mm. um such a shame yeah. is, yeah. is is just wrong and mm. like it's it's weird because in, increasingly i think people do do people really trust those kind of types who say well i've never had a problem and i'm kind of you know like, mm. as you're saying claire i wake mm. up at 4 a.m and yeah mm. you know do are those people naturally mm. trustworthy? Because to me, it doesn't doesn't really hold no. true. But even if you say that, oh, I, well, I've never suffered. That's not to say that you won't in the future. Yeah. Let let me yeah, say this: that's true. until my sister um, died suddenly yeah. um, a few years back, I'd never suffered from anxiety. Mm. And yeah. then suddenly, I changed. I really, yeah. really changed, and I suddenly developed huge anxiety about health issues. My children going to the doctors, yeah. anyone over imagining yeah. that I had all sorts of conditions yeah. and, and actually making myself ill mm. as a result of it. Mm. Now, I, you know, a life event like that can be absolutely changing. And this is the thing that people might think they're untouchable, that they're not vulnerable to these things, that it's something that will never touch them. Well, I, I say that you don't know what's ahead of you at any absolutely. time in your life. And, and um, you know, those kind of life events can really, really change the person that you are. Definitely so. be yeah, triggered. And absolutely. you can be managing up to a certain point and then, you know, th everything can kind of get too much. You can have burnout or whatever. Mm. I think for me, I, you know, I, I was diagnosed with bipolar and I suppose it was there all along, but there it didn't really surface mm. fully until I was um, 32. So mm. I had been just getting along okay you know until mm. then nothing had 
been serious enough to give me that diagnosis in the past until I had a, a real... And I, I think people feel like, I certainly felt like, I could just keep pushing myself and keep pushing myself and that I, I didn't realise I had a breaking point yeah. until I reached it. And yeah. I think a lot of people, the pressures that you're under career-wise, relationship-wise, financially, all of those things can sometimes just sort of snowball and you don't realise that you've got a limit until it's too late. You know, mm. It's not too late because you can come back. But mm-hmm. yeah. um, like you say, I think we've got to be understanding about not not putting people under that much pressure yeah. as well. So that Absolutely. So uh, from, from your point of view, Lee, was that, um, I know you've spoken about it very mm. openly and, and thank you for, for sharing again here. Um, how did it manifest itself? So you mentioned finance and, and bipolar. Yeah. How, do, how do those two go together? So um, during, so I had a, basically my kind of breakdown panned out over the course of about a year, really. I had a very serious depression where I was kind of falling um, lower and lower and lower mm. and I didn't know how to stop it. And that was a kind of, com- I think there was a combination of factors being in quite a, a pressured uh, job yeah. working on a national newspaper yeah. um had a few kind of relationship issues at the, issues at the time and it sort of felt like there wasn't really a respite mm. from the stress um so i went on to antidepressants and then um started to get better um but then because i didn't know that i was bipolar at the time um you basically if you're if you're bipolar you shouldn't really be taking antidepressants without right. something to okay. stabilize it yeah. so we didn't know that so yeah. i just got higher and higher and higher yeah um until i was in a very kind of elevated mood and that's when it was in that high mood state that i was sort of spending a lot of money yeah and that's quite common that that's very common yeah. with bipolar it's one of the criteria that they actually use to diagnose right. it okay. overspending so I was kind of spending lots of money. Um, I'm quite creative, so I was sort of everything I was spending money on was kind of linked to kind of creative projects or things Mm. like that. I was kind of giving quite a lot of money to homeless people as well. (laughs) I felt um, I kind of, in some ways, it was like I could feel myself, um, I could feel my life was kind of on the edge of falling apart. And I could kind of, I was sort of relating that to, you know, people who were living on the streets and how they were um how maybe they got there i could kind of see how easily things could crumble um and then uh so in the end i got got to such a state where i had to be sectioned and i was in hospital for a couple of weeks um and then gradually got out of there and kind of uh, had a very uh continued to be in quite a high state for Mm. a while and then sunk into another depression but the whole thing you know i was off work for about nine months yeah so that obviously had a huge impact on my finances. Um, and I didn't, luckily I didn't get into debt. Um, my parents kind of stepped in and mm. took my credit cards off mm. me and that kind of thing. Um, and also I think because some a lot of my money that I'd saved up was kind of tucked away in ISAs with deposit, with, yeah. um, with logins I didn't yeah. have access to, that kind of saved me in a way. Yeah. So I didn't get into debt. But, you know, that whole episode cost me, I calculate, 25000 which wow. was in kind of lost yeah. earnings and everything else. Yeah. And if I hadn't had somewhere to live, like my parent, my yeah. mum's place where I could live, it, you can see yeah, how that could absolutely. have totally ruined my um, yeah. financial life forever, really. So what should, what, what should people do if they're feeling, how do, how do you approach it as a, as an employer or, or what advice would you give people who might be 
mm. listening to this or, f or feeling, mm. actually, do you know what? Some of that rings true. It really, it really struck home to me when I read a book. Uh, I don't know if you've read it, but I'm Matt Haig. Who, I haven't read it, but I know. Who, yeah, no, and he's written, I'm reading the second one now, which is Notes on a Nervous Planet, about how all this all iPhones and the 24-7 mm. life is, is making all these mental health problems even mm. more pronounced. And you read a lot about anxiety and how that works. And wow, I see a lot of, <laughs> a lot of tell, tell signs. But what advice would you give people who, who might want mm. someone to talk to or... Well, I think you know, find anyone to talk to. I think yeah. talking mm. is 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 a is a key part to, um, well, I don't want to say recovery, but certainly therapy. Um, I think talking is excellent if you're in the fortunate position that your workplace has a, a mental health um, first aider, which yeah. is something yeah. that we've invested in. I think you know that's that's really good because that person is almost being given a, a label or a mandate to be there as somebody yeah. who's. Mm you know, particularly open to being approached. Um, but, of course, there are lots of other helplines and charities such as Mind and Anxiety UK that yeah. have got confidential helplines, um, Samaritans, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, you know, sometimes just just talking something over or getting some um, uh, cognitive behavioural mm. therapy or something yeah. like that can be really, really helpful. Just a few sessions and you can feel completely different, mm. look at things yeah. differently. I'm going to do the MHFA, the Mental Health First Aid course soon okay, as well. Yeah. So really looking forward to doing that. And I think, you know, you, um, if, if it's obviously an investment, I don't know what the actual cost is for companies to do it. But mm. if you've got one person that, that if you can afford to send one person to do it, then they can then inform the rest of the organisation yes. and make sure that if you have got any kind of air, gaps in your culture or areas that need addressing that they all hopefully spot those and then feedback um, and just make sure that that you have got that um, openness and that if you if you see someone who's struggling or underperforming perhaps you don't mm. in, immediately jump to the conclusion that mm. you know they're they're just bad at their job that you kind of start that conversation yeah. obviously you can't go around mm. um, diagnosing people that's no, not, not the not. job but no. you've got to allow them to have the space to tell you what's on yeah. their mind mm. that's really useful that's that's definitely how we we try and approach things now yeah it's uh it's not just your crap yeah. what are you doing you're underperforming it's actually let's try and understand are, yeah are yeah. we missing anything is, there, yeah. is yeah. everything okay and then it's about managing in rather than managing yeah. out isn't it trying yeah. to sort of but help people through rather yeah. than push them out the door the so. hard point is knowing actually they are fine. They are just crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's a, that's a very different. Yeah, that's a different hard, issue. That's a different <laughs> issue entirely. But that's a whole other podcast. Yes, yes. Um, ladies, look, time has flown. So um, thank you so much okay. for being open. I do have one last question. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking everyone this. Oh, if you God. weren't doing the job you were doing now and you weren't in the industry at all, what would you be doing? Wow, that's really difficult for me well, because what would I came. You like to do? Well, I came from a different sector already because I yeah. worked in education for mm. sixteen years. So you know, uh, a qualified head and so on. Um, what would I do now? I actually think that I miss my vocation in life. I would have liked to have been on the stage. <laughs> would you? I can see you doing that. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be me. What? If Just had, acting or well, singing and dancing? if I had some talent, I, I think yeah, <laughs> the, the West End musicals would be my <laughs> bag. 
I can see you in the West End musical. Oh dear. Do Bright Star the musical. Yes. Bra- oh, don't give yeah. Rob ideas. Oh no. What Seriously. You heard it here first. Yeah. Bright Star the musical. Yeah. Will and Rob are on that. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. That's Just brilliant. Just think high school musical, bright star <laughs> musical. <laughs> That's genius. Sure. Uh Leah, what if you weren't in the finance oh, I'm world? I'm always thinking about different things actually that I could do. I mean I've I do a lot of painting. Yes. Um, I've seen some of your art. It's fantastic. Oh, thanks, Monty. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, well, I can only paint matchstick men. So. <laughs> um, but like, I think one of the things is it's just so impossible to make a living out of it. So <laughs> yeah. In some ways, I think I'm really lucky because, you know, although journalism isn't exactly the, the best paid job in the world, <laughs> it does allow me to, to still do um, the creative side as well. Um, I mean, increasingly with all the mental health stuff I've been doing, mm. I think more and more about um, sort of whether I'd enjoy kind of counselling or psychotherapy yeah. and I yeah. what else I could study. But yeah. No, that's brilliant. Right. Well, <laughs> thank you. Um, well, thank you, Leah. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank, thank you, Claire. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being honest. It's it's really, really important subject. Um, of course, thank you all for listening. If you want any further info on uh, any of the topics touched on here, then you can contact me and I can put you in touch with uh, with, with Leah or Claire or, or any of the relevant people we've talked about. I certainly have a page of notes here for myself. Um, So that's been really helpful. Until then, uh, we'll be back next month. Um, If you have any comments or questions in the meantime, to put to either myself or any of our guests, you can contact me on Twitter at Monty's blog. Until next time, this is The Mortgage Show. See, I got all the way through that (laughs) and I'm going to keep this in just to prove it. Uh, Until next time, this is The Mortgage Show signing off. Thank you. (laughs) 